Well, how are you? Is it the weather perfect? Yes. Man. This is, this is, this is fun. Well, good morning. Welcome to you. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I was talking with one of our, well, I, I almost said teens, but they're like, they're graduated now, a couple years out, so pretty, no longer actually a teen. And I said, what do you like about our outdoor services? And they said, well, I, I like I like listening to you. Um, and I was like, man, wow. <laughs> it was not my son. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, man, I, I, that, that, that makes me, that really pumps me up, makes me feel good. You know when somebody says something that makes you feel good, that's nice. They followed it up almost immediately with, it's usually pretty short. <laughs> I'm going to take the positive part of that, um, but it will be short. But I want to talk to you about this passage that I read this passage just a couple weeks ago um, and, and kind of heard somebody unpacking it. And I'm sitting there listening to the passage and thought, man, if we don't get caught up with that almost weekly, the way we interact with life. And then there's this little point that in this psalm, which is attributed to David, that he says at the end in a short verse, that I'm like, that's it, that's the key. And no matter how simple the message comes off to you, if it's one of those where you're like, man, I hear this kind of message all the time in the church world, it does not take away from the fact that this is powerful truth. So if you would, Psalm 131, Psalm 131, if you got your Bible, if you got your phone, however you want to get to it, 131. Now, there's also sermon notes, uh, which are very minimal today, but those are available online if you want to take a look at those uh, as well. Psalm 131. So this is a psalm that's, that's attributed to David, not all Sometimes we kind of fall into that camp where we're like, I think David wrote all the Psalms. He didn't write them all, but this is one. And the important part about David writing these is if you know anything about David's life in the Old Testament, like you can see real life, real trouble, everything he's going through, gone through, it actually shows up in the Psalm. So there's sometimes he's going through something and he's like, man, life is great. And he's singing these praises. Other time, not so great. And he's speaking from the other side, which reminds you and I, God is big enough to handle it. Just go to him and dump it out. It doesn't matter if it's a great day, a terrible day, if you're going to God and saying, why, why, why? Or if you're going to God and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just keep going to God. That's what David keeps doing in these show up in the Bible. Psalm 131, I want to read it to you. I probably want to read a few of these several times. Let's, let's read it. Lord, my heart isn't proud. My eyes aren't conceited. I don't get involved with things too great or wonderful for me. No, but I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child on its mother. Like it, uh, I'm like the weaned child that is with me. Israel, wait for the word, the word of God. Thanks be to God. Man, even now. So I want to just share with you just a couple things that show up here. David started. And he, he, he tells us as he's saying this, and this might have even translated into something that became a, 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 a song or even a greeting of praise as you came into worship. And it says here, Lord, my heart isn't proud. My eyes aren't conceited. Now, here's what I've learned about most people, just about everybody. Nobody thinks they're conceited, right? Like, like if you were asked, are you a conceited person? Chances are you would say, no, I'm not. Now, if I said, are you an outgoing person? Are you an introvert? You would say yes or no to those questions because you kind of have that down. None of us think 
about conceit. But let me just roll down to what I think David is getting at. It's not that David is just saying, I am proud or I'm conceited in the sense that David's saying, I'm the best. Everyone turn and look at me. I'm way up here. But I think it's a lesser form of the same thing. That when we get caught up, or David got caught up in this idea of focusing on self, focusing on elevating myself, focusing on putting myself in a position where I may be just a notch above the person next to me in some way, shape, or form, or maybe even rooting against them, maybe for them to kind of crash and burn so that I can be even above. That's this concept of conceit or proud. When our focus is just on ourselves, and in some way, shape, or form, seeking to elevate. Now, I want to be honest with you. As I started to ask this question, before I could turn and say to you, hey, let's not be proud and conceited in this way, huh? I, thought it, I started to think about, how am I proud and conceited in this way? And I don't know, you might say, oh, pastor, you know, you're a super humble guy. So maybe you wouldn't say that at all. <laughs> I don't know. But when I look at myself, there is a self-deception. If I would look and say, doesn't exist anywhere. And when I start looking across, I find these subtle ways that in our world and in our culture, we have almost allowed ourselves, we accept the concept of focus heavy on yourself and elevate yourself. We don't always do it thinking it's at the expense of others, but this idea of elevating ourselves even more. Has social media not become that to some degree? I mean, what a great tool to communicate and talk. For years in my family, I was like, Mom, could you just get on Facebook so I don't have to send you 100 photos on text message? You can see everything, the whole family. And finally, they got, what a great tool that has been for our family. But like any great tool, sometimes it finds this sneaky way. Now, in high school, back in the day, if you're about my age, many of you, right? Right about my age, we're about 32. Um, when we were back in high school, um, can I say a joke? Oh, when we were back in high school, I was thinking about this concept. We were on sometimes. Like, we felt like we needed to be on. Let me say it that way. In the sense of, I'd show up for school and... There was one or two girls I had my eyes on, um, right? I mean, this is long before Sharif, so. One or two girls I had my eye on, and I felt like when I got to school, I needed to be on, especially if I might be in the class with those uh, two young ladies. So that's when I needed to make sure my hair was on point. <laughs> there was a time. I need to make sure you know, the clothes are right. And I had to really think through what I said, right? I, wanted, I don't want to come off saying something stupid and dumb, you know, and cut the whole opportunity off for these, these two ladies. So I, I, I wanted to be on during those times. Then there was other times, like my, my buddy Hank, we'd get on our bikes and ride home, because it was like eighth grade, I think, when we first started thinking this way. I didn't think about being on riding our bikes home, you know, with Hank. You know, we're just whatever. It was just two guys doing dumb stuff together. All right? It's different now. Listen, it's not just for our young people, but it's it's even my age group now. That we feel like there's, in some way, we've got to be on all the time. Because we've got to post something that looks like, man, what a vacation. You guys are amazing. What an amazing family. Event. What a great on and on and on this is. That feeling. And you know what it subtly sneaks in? It subtly sneaks in this idea this idea of conceit, of elevating and focusing my time and 
attention to myself when there's opportunity to turn and see someone else. David somehow has overcome this. He somehow has found his way through this to where this he this is not something he's captivated on. This is not something that, that just uh, that, that, that clutches him. And we know he has been there in his life. But not here when he writes this song. How is that? Like, what is it David has found? Is it mind over matter that he's figured out? Or is it something different? Let's look at the second phrase that he, he writes. I don't get involved with things too great or wonderful for me. Now, we might read that. And we might say, oh, David doesn't get involved in anything grand. He's just, you know, like just staying way down here, just doing, I don't know, the just the mundane, normal things of life. But I think when we know the life of David and we know that his life is showing up in what he's writing, I think what he's really getting at here is this idea of, I found my lane. I understand. I understand what, where God is directing me, what I should be involved in, how I should be kind of living out life, and I've learned where I should. And David learned that the hard way. Like, he learned where he shouldn't. You, you shouldn't see someone else's wife and decide you want to have her. You shouldn't cover that up with another sin, but that actually, that actually leads to that husband's death. That's not the way we find it. And that story may be extreme for you and I today and how we function, but conceptually we might function a little similar. David's saying in this, in this short sentence, I don't get involved in those things anymore. Those things that are too great, too wonderful for me. Those things that are outside of the path God is leading me on. Uh, on Wednesday night, we're doing this adult Bible study. If you've come, you know we're walking through creation. But very soon here, we're going to walk through the idea of will of God. It's a phrase we use a lot of times, or calling of God, if you want to use that uh, phrase. You know, what does that mean to say, I'm following God's call in my life? Or that's God's will for me. This idea of, uh, of is it God's directing me to a specific path, or is there a general path? We're going to look at all that kind of stuff. So if that interests you, Wednesday night in a couple weeks, we'll launch into that. But I think that's what David's getting at here is, I have figured out the path God has for me. And this is the path that I'm on, and I need, I need to walk down this path. And I wonder for you and I, if, if, there's, if there's kind of a, a push, struggle, stress, anxiety over the idea of, where, what am I supposed to do in life? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to be a part of? Is there a specific job, vocation that God has for me? Am I seeing it? Am I finding it? Or is there a scripted out path that if I don't get directly on this path that God has, this day-to-day -day path scripted out, like I've blown it somehow? When we look back on the life of David, I think the answer first lies in this, that there was this moment where he just was ruined by his own sin just ruined and first came confession and he does that and we all have to let you read about that on your own in the story but then comes this time where there is this pour out and surrender to god and just, god this is who i am this is what i have left i'm no longer this great man that you made me to be but this is what i have and i offer it to you and it's that place where david first encounters what i would call getting on board with God's calling in his life. To be surrendered before God. 
And now God said, I'll, I'll walk with you forward now. But no matter what vocation you think, you know, you're designed for, God's made for you, or specific path that you think is out there, that's irrelevant to the beginning place of saying, I surrender and offer myself fully to you. Could be you come this morning and you're similar to David, and you'd be like, man, I'm just wrecked. Like, I'm wrecked in life right now. Maybe you come and you're like, that's not quite my story. It doesn't really matter where you're at or what you've done at this point. The same truth holds if we want to know where God is leading us and where he wants us to go as individuals, as a church. It starts with surrender, just saying, this is what I have. This is me. And I offer this to you, Lord. When I came to Wendover Hills, I'm going to tell you the, the number one thing that attracted me. Now, if you remember, I mean, look across. We've got a, a huge group here tonight. There's about, what, 30 of us or so? You know, I've been counting cats and dogs. Um, I don't, and, hey, by the way, I just had a little nice conversation with, with Ella and Amelia over there about cats and cats uh, scratching. You know, and so this mark on my nose is my cat biting me on my nose. So um, that's what it is. Just want to make sure you knew. And hey, um, can you guys give these kids some dogs? I, I, they both ask me for dogs over there. So let's work on it, parents. Okay. What were we talking about? What was the point? Oh, when I first came, this was the number one thing that attracted me. I don't think it was articulated in this exact phrase, but this is what I heard. It was a group of 30 people or so, and they're like, we just want people to come and be able to disclose who they were. This is who I am, Lord, and this will be the beginning point, and we'll go from here. They wanted to be a church that said, as a church, we're good with this. We're good with messed up, broken people coming in and just saying, this is me. We're good with people who look like they have it completely together, but they've been posers most of their life on this. And... They want to start fresh and new surrender. We're good with that. And that is so attractive to come and to be a part of. Maybe that's you today. You just want to start. That's that's what David does here. And then uh, we go on. He says, no, no, that's not me, these two things. I have calmed and quieted myself like a lean child on its mother. Now, uh, I, I, I go to a gym that's got uh, three new babies, right? And these moms are... Um, they're a little more gung-ho workout people than I am. Um, so, you know, it was like, you know, baby came out, and they're like, we're going to in tomorrow. So, uh, and so the baby just comes along. So there are times where there is some uh, baby weaning going on in, you know, in the gym where you know, I'm working out here, and I just know, don't look this way for a little while and, you know, focus on. So some of that is going And then I, I've noticed that uh, immediately after that, the kid goes to sleep. Now you might 
middle of when he was going through prisons and beatings and all kinds of stuff. So there's something about it that transcends the circumstances. And I think David is speaking into that. How does he find contentment? You know, I think you and I understand what contentment is. But if we're not careful, what we do often is we tie it so closely to circumstance. So closely tied to circumstance. But I think if we were intentional and we sat back and said, okay, this is circumstance, this is my content, and we tried to separate those two, we start to understand that there is actually a contentment that transcends those circumstances. And I think David is speaking into this. How? How does he find this? I mean, is it that he's going through a rough time, a hard time? Maybe you've transitioned recently uh, in, you know, into something new in your life, and you're like, I thought this was going to be awesome, and now it's a struggle, and I made the decision. I can't bail now. And you're like, how do I get through this and walk through? Who knows what your situation is? How is David overcoming this? Is it like a, I'm just going to block it all out, mind over matter again? I think it's something different. Take a look at this last phrase. He says, Israel, wait for the Lord. From now until forever from now. David was saying, Israel, wait on the Lord forever. Just wait on the Lord now and let it keep coming. Keep going and keep it going. Wait on the Lord. Now, it's an interesting uh, word here, this word for uh, wait that shows up here. Did you know that there's actually, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, there's 75, or excuse me, 25 different ways the word wait is used in, not just in the Old Testament, but in the Hebrew language. Like 25 different ways. I, I imagine there must be an English equivalent word somewhere out there, but I, I'm not smart enough to know what it is. So we look at this word and we say, what is this word wait? Because when I think wait on the Lord, I'm thinking like, this is a bus stop. I'm going to sit here and eventually God's coming by. Is that what it means? What's interesting, um, 10 years ago, I'm 50 now, 10 years ago, I got my first set of glasses, right? Um, and some of you that, you know, you, you didn't have glasses when you were young, you realize you either get them younger or you get them later. Um, I, you know, I got them later. Um, so at 40 years old, I got my first glass. I knew something was a little off. And there was a little bit of an excitement and giddiness in it. I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of cool. And so I went and I, I had my eye exam. And then I go talk to, uh, well, his name's Doc at my place, uh, whatever his title is. And you pick out your glass and he sets it all up. And then he tells you, they'll be in about a week and a half, right? And that week and a half, I remember 10 years ago, I was like, I'm kind of excited about this set of glasses coming, right? Now, I remember uh, my eye doctor said, you know, you can wear them some, you can not wear them some, but you know, you're just kind of in that place where you may need it some, you may feel like when you're reading a little while, you may just whatever you feel like. So there's this urgency to have them. But I was kind of excited about them. I was thinking, that could be a new look. Maybe I'll look studious, finally. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when I get up to preach, you'll be like, man, he's really smart. Look at him. He's got glasses. I, I don't know. Um, but I was kind of excited, so I was waiting for these glasses to arrive. And I got them, and I, you know, I wore them, and then I lost them, and, and then, you know, I had to get a new pair and lost them. You know, that kind of well, this past year, I, I was looking at them like, I can't see right. Like, I've got my readers to my number, and I can't see correctly here. 
And then when I took them off, when I'm not supposed to have problems with the distance, I'm going, I can't see that up there. And I'm starting to think I've got this sweet zone about 60 to 80 feet, and like, that's it. You know, everything else is not a sweet zone anymore. And so I made an appointment, and I went last week. It was the last Thursday, and I had the eye exam. And she said, uh, well, it's changed a little bit. And I said, well, what's the chance it changed for the better? And she said, zero. Uh, so, and sure enough, she said, well, I, I, need, I need to really adjust every category for you. So every category changed, my eyesight has gotten worse. And I went out and guess who I saw? Doc, he's still working there. And I got glasses ordered. I got glasses ordered for, and he said they'd be in and when? About a week and a half. Can I tell you the word wait is different now? <laughs> I'm not waiting thinking, well, this is kind of be cool. You know, I'll get them and, you know, maybe I'll wear more of that. I'm like, I need to see. I can't see you driving down the road the same. I mean, I can see it all, but, you know, there's a little blur on the signs now. And sometimes when I'm looking at my notes on Sunday morning, like, I I'm doing some guessing. So if you've ever heard something that sounds a little theologically off, it may just be eyesight related. I'm, I'm waiting very different now. So in this passage, when David says wait... There's a word in Hebrew, it shows up in the Old Testament a couple times, kavah, that is wait. And this is what it means. Wait. It's a time word. So when I say, just wait for me, kavah for me, I'm saying, it's going to be some time. Just wait. I'll be there. Right? So yeah, maybe you're an on-time person, and when you say wait, you know, you're like, great, we'll be here in five minutes. You know? Or maybe you're not an on-time. When you say, I'll be there in five minutes... Who knows? You just wait, right? It's a time word. But that's not the word here. Yehel is the word here that David uses. And it doesn't mean time. It means expectancy. Or think about it this way. In some of your translations, they translate it this way. It's the word is hope. That I will hope in the Lord. But even I'm not sure the word hope perfectly grabs it. And that's why you see translations using different words here. They're trying hard to capture it. So think about it in terms of to find hope in or to find expectation from. That's what David's saying. How have I been able to get off of being conceited? How is it that I've been able to understand my lane, my path? And how is it that I have actually found contentment even when all the circumstances aren't great? I hope in the Lord. I have expectation in the Lord. I look to the Lord and I'm like, I know what he's going to offer. He might say to me, I know how he might direct. I know, I know how he might correct. I just have expectation and I find hope in God that he would be the one that I need to go to. Do you have an advice person in your life? Like when you're like, something happens, you're like, if I call so-and-so, if I call dad, mom, if I call so-and-so, they'll steer me right. And we even say things like that sometimes. David is saying, look at all that I've walked through. I look and I yahel, I hope, I wait, I have expectation in the Lord. That's how he's able to say this. That's how in this short little song, he's able to say, conceit does not contain me anymore. I have a calling, a direction, I stay in that lane, and I have contentment, even despite circumstances, because I'll just keep 
hoping, waiting in the Lord. I don't know if you need to hear that today. It's Psalm 131. So if you're like, I'm intrigued by that, I think there might even be more God wants me to share. Here would be an idea. How about just getting up every morning? Start your morning. Psalm chapter 5, the psalmist says, Give ear to my word, O Lord. And he says, In the morning I will look to you. There's something about starting the day. Maybe this week the idea would be, wake up every morning and say, I'm going to read Psalm 131 every morning. And then I'm just going to say, Lord, help me to hope in you today. An idea for putting it in practice, reminding yourself how the Lord might spoke to you today, but throughout the week. Well, let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for being outside. Thank you for the weather. Just thank you for the sun and, and just the, the good times. Lord, I'm, I give you praise as the story said. We have 30. And we look at this great group that's out here praising you and lifting you up. And I think the sentiment is still the same. Lord, we just want to be in a place where we disclose who we are in life. And that's the starting point. And when David got to that point, oh, Father, he concluded with a psalm like this. Wherever you're at today, if hoping in the Lord sounds more appealing than maybe when you opened your eyes this morning, if there was a reminder of it, if there was a gravitation towards conceit or, or stress about and anxiousness about calling or no contentment, and you're more in touch now with the idea of hoping in the Lord. Would you just lean on God right now and speak to him however you need to speak to him. Hear his word speak to you and then just make commitment back to him. Lord, Lord, I hope in you. I want to hope in you. And where you're not sure about it all, Lord, you speak to me more. Be with us, Lord, the rest of our time. May community and fellowship be great. And would you send us out here hoping and expecting in you, we pray. In your son's name, amen. amen. Well, let me invite uh, Pastor Reese to come back up. He's going to give you some direction. He's got some announcements. I don't know, a joke or two? Nope.